thank you that you have sent us the rock that is your son, Jesus Christ. In a world that seems to be ever unraveling. Where things that we thought we found our stability in have been shaken to their very core. We have moments like this where you, your spirit, turns our heart's affection and our mind's attention to you and we are reminded where our feet stand upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. So may the world shake, but may we never be shaken for we are building our lives on the bedrock that is the word of God who came, lived, died, rose again, and will return in glory. And it is for the fame of his name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we gather here today. And it is in that name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you please remain standing for the reading of the word? So get rid of all be evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk, so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment, now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Though the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. 1 Peter 2, 1-12. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Keegan. This is the word of the Lord. As you are being seated, grab your Bibles. You're going to need them today. And let me ask you a question. What is the biggest threat to the gospel in the world today? What do you think the biggest threat in the gospel to the gospel in the world today is? Apathy. Apathy. Okay. Silence by believers. Complacency. If you were to ask, and, and, I, and I love how spiritually mature the Lord is making our church, because if you were to ask the average person, even the average Christian, what, 
what, especially in America, especially in the last, oh, I don't know, eight or ten months, what is the biggest threat to the gospel today? What do you think most people would answer? Loss of religious freedom. Government. Maybe, maybe they might even, maybe they're spiritual, they might say Satan. But here's the thing, guys. We know that God's word says that the heart of the king, in our vernacular, the heart of the president is in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it whichever way he wishes. So government can't be the issue. Right? We, we also know that what he says, um, that what the word says is that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. So we know Satan can't be the issue. The issue is what you guys were referring to. The, the greatest danger, guys, to the gospel today is the church. And we need to come to grips with that. And, and, I, and I praise God that he is allowing us as a body to mature into that reality. And what I mean by that is, is the apathy, the complacency, the, 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 the thinking that somehow the gospel was something it wasn't. And, and part of why we know that it is true that, that all these other outside worldly things are not the issue is because they weren't the issue in Peter's day. Remember, Peter wrote to a church 30 years after Christ dies, just a couple years before Rome is going to rip the temple down and crucify Peter and the rest of the apostles. And he is, so guys, the government is against them. The world is out to get them. Satan certainly isn't happy with them. But the church is exploding at this time. Like if you read the book of Acts, the church literally turns, the Christian church turns the Roman Empire, like buckles the Roman Empire. The church did that. Not by being strong and standing up for their rights, but by just preaching the love of Christ. That's what will change this world. So we're in this series that we're calling Stand Firm, living as hope-filled foreigners, like that this world is not our home. And the first Sunday we looked at 1 Peter and we saw that, that we're standing firm in this great salvation God has given us. And then last week we looked at how we're standing firm in God's truth. And this week what we're going to look at is how we are standing firm on the cross of Christ. So we're going to start in, we're going to be in the first part of chapter 2 today and look at, and look at just 12 verses and we're going to go through them fairly quickly this morning, but, but the question, the big idea for this morning is, how is your life, your life, your family's life, your church's life being built on the cross of Christ? And I only have two points, so that's probably going to help us go fast today. And they're, and they're sort of, they're, 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 they don't necessarily lay out exactly the way the passage is. They're just two main ideas that Peter's going to tell us about. And we are to be a people who are built on a cross. And, and really the whole letter is, is fundamentally about that thing. That we are to be a people built on the cross. So we're going to pick it up. Starting in chapter 2 and verse 1 with our first point. We are to be a people. So. The ESV says so. The NASB I think maybe has therefore there. Because it's the Greek word that is often translated therefore. So then. Because of. So remember what we talk about over and over as we're training ourselves to not only know the word of God, but be able to help other people see what the word of God means. We want to, when we see that so, that so is not disconnected from anything else he said. He's saying so, so we ask, so what, Peter? So he's saying so in 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, or, or in, in, chapter, in, first, in, in chapter 1, verse 1, so because you are exiles, because this place is not your home, 
He's saying, so, because by the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, you have been made obedient to Christ, in verse 2, so, he has, because of the so, that he has caused you, he caused you to be born again to a living hope, right? He's saying, so, because of this great salvation, oh, by the way, verse 13, prepare, therefore, prepare your mind for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, so, because of the truth of God's word, because of God's great salvation and God's great truth, now do this. So he's saying, so, in light of the gospel, do this. Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Guys, much like Paul lists in, in, in his first letter that Paul writes in Galatians, much like Paul writes the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, this is Peter's like deeds of the flesh area. He's saying that you are no longer fleshly beings. Yeah, we, we still struggle with the flesh. Yes, we still struggle with sin. But we are now born again as a new creation. And, and these sins that he lists are sins of attitude and speech. They're, they're, they're sins that, that are very... That are, that are frankly way too accepted in the church and way too prevalent in the church. And this was 30 years after Christ died, and it's true 2,000 years later. Guys, more churches have been damaged by gossip than by any moral failure of pastors. Not that pastors can't fail and do fail, and we see those headlines all the time, but I'm telling you that things like dis malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, or gossip... Those things have brought down more bodies of faith than anything else has. And so Peter's saying, guys, don't, just like Paul said, don't be in the, don't walk in the deeds of the flesh, which are anger and jealousy. Like we focus on all these, on, on the biggies, right? Like when he talks about like promiscuity and sexual immorality and, and um, fornication. And we're like, oh man, we got to stop that in the church. But then he, but Paul, just like Peter, Paul lists most of his Big deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5 aren't what we think of as big sins. They're the little subtle things. Anger, malice, jealousy, fits of rage. Right? Like these are the things that we somehow have become, become okay with in the church. And so Peter's saying, don't be that way. Be full, as, as Paul said in Galatians, be full of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because against these things, there is no judgment, is what he says. Guys, that's what we just spent the last hour basking in. The fruit of the Spirit. That's why we need to gather. That's why my soul needed that time. Even though we, we quote, ran long from what we, had, what we would schedule for that time, I don't care. Because honestly, man, my soul needed to be nourished. And the Spirit through God's people, through you guys and your I mean, just amazing prayers, um, nour we nourish each other's souls because the Spirit's fruit is present in this place. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, ladies and gentlemen, are divinely powerful. In other words, they have divine, godly power for the destruction of fortresses. Because then he says, so, but here's what he's tying it to. He's tying that fight, this fight with, like, it's really a fight for identity. Are you going to be the fleshly person that you were or the spirit-led person that you are now in Christ? 
And what he says is, so because we have these divinely powerful weapons, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Right? Like ultimately, the battle for our faith, guys, like walking it out day by day, all that stuff that was prayed, what you're going to see in this letter, it is, a, it is a battle between the ears. Guys, you talk to yourself more than any other person speaks to you. Ten times more than any other, than any, I don't care if you have the news on in your home all the time, which to me is, would be completely ridiculous, but I don't, care, I don't care if you have noise going all the time. You talk to yourself more than any other person speaks to you. So what are you saying? It matters. Man, I loved some of those prayers, and they were so convicting to me about, like, we just have to trust the Lord. We have to stop fighting with him and with ourselves. So let's keep going. He says, now, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Guys, this is not like what, some of you may be familiar with this, this, that you see the word spiritual milk there, and you think, I've heard that before. This is not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Since Hebrews is close, I'm just going to take the time. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5, so go back to the left of your Bible, Hebrews chapter 5, so you're going to go past James, Hebrews in chapter 5, and I'm just going to pick it up in verse 11, because there is a reference to like, like training yourself in the word of God, and how the word is sometimes described as milk, and sometimes described as meat, and I don't want you to be confused by, Peter is not calling us babies here, but the writer of Hebrews is. So in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, he says this, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Guys, Hebrews is a passage written to the church. So he's talking to people in the church, not the world. And he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. He's not, he's not talking to the pastors sitting in the church. He's talking to the people. He's talking to you, every one of you, kids, young adults. All, he's saying, by now you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So there's that phrase, like, you need, you need milk. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the world of righteousness, in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So guys, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is we do need to be growing in maturity spiritually. And that growing in maturity spiritually comes from being trained in how to teach the word of God. And that's why we've been talking about that now for really the last three or four months that we are wanting to get increasingly more serious to that end. And you'll hear more about that later. So back to 1 Peter. But Peter is not saying you're be. Here's what Peter's saying. If you find the... Remember, context is king. Verse 2 is in the context of verse 1. Peter is saying that if you find yourself struggling with these sins, maybe it's because those sins have more of your attention than the Word of God does. So get back to feeding on the Word of God. Go back to basics. That's what he's basically saying there. But I love something else he says there. He says, for by it you may grow up into salvation. Guys, do you remember what we talked about? I think it was last week. Yeah, it was last week. My big bag of candy, my little bag of candy that turned into a bigger bag of candy. This idea that, because, because you read this passage, you say that, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Wait a minute, aren't we saved? The answer is yes. Do you remember 
what we talked about. So for, like, like in, in chapter 1, in several places, verse 5, 7, 9, 13, it has this idea of we are saved. We are being saved. We are currently working out our salvation in, with fear and trembling. And we will someday see this salvation in full. And that same thing was true, and we saw this last week. We are holy, like we, like we were made holy when God saved us. We are being made holy as he sanctifies us even more. And someday our holiness will be complete. That's, that's part of that living in this already finished work on the cross. He sees us. And that's the beauty of the gospel, guys. That's why we don't need to beat ourselves up. That's why it's not about living morally. Christianity is not about doing the right thing. It is about living consistent with the identity you already are. Now, my analogy of I, I, I um, gave Evan the small bag of candy, he gave it away, which is a great picture of how we're supposed to give away the gospel, if you didn't pick up on that. And then he got a bigger bag of candy. The, the, the breakdown in that analogy, outside of the fact that candy doesn't really do it justice, even though it was really, really good candy, um, but is, is that the bag gets bigger and bigger as we keep going until we get that finally, like that ultimate bag of candy at the end. But the idea is still true. So let's keep going. So if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So he's saying, guys, don't get your, have your appetite set in the right place. And remember that you are in process. And then you pick it up in verse 4. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Because, guys... I, Look at how two times in that one section he calls us living stones. Now, I want you to stop for a minute. I want you to think about who's writing this. Who's writing this letter? Peter. Do you remember the encounter Peter had with Jesus? This was the turning point, not only in Peter's life, it was the turning point in Jesus' public ministry. It's in Matthew chapter 16, and it's where Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he's like, hey, who do the people say that I am? And they're like, oh, some, of you say, some say Elijah, some say the prophets. And he turns on them and he says, so what say you? What do you say? And do you remember what Peter said? You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus gives God credit for that revelation in Peter's life because he knows Peter. right? But then he says this, upon that rock, I will build my church. Upon the rock, not of Peter, upon the rock of the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, upon that rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. G Peter is saying, he's, he's going back to that moment and going, upon the truth of our great salvation and the truth of God's word, you are now living stones. Just like I was like called Petra, Petros, Peter, a stone. You are now living stones. He's saying, he, he doesn't know it yet, but he's saying the cold stones of the temple that were still in existence when Peter wrote this letter are going to be torn down and replaced by living souls. Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God, is what Paul says. Guys, we are now the temple. We are, we are living stones. Do we really see it that way? Do we really see our lives that way? I love how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of a household of God 
built on the foundation. He's talking about you're, you're brought together as a local church, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also being built up together into a dwelling place of for God by the Spirit. Guys, the Spirit of God, when you are not just saved and sealed by the Spirit, you are then joined together into the body of Christ, the family of God. We are saved from judgment and into a family, and that is a spiritual thing. And we are now the temple, and together we are the body of Christ. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Then it says this in verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying, a, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, precious and um, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And that brings us to our second point. So we are a people. We are a spirit-sealed, spirit-connected people who are built on the cross. Who are built on this cross. He, all, all Peter is doing, Peter in this, in this reference to the cornerstone, just like Paul did in the passage in Ephesians I just read. What, here's all Peter is doing. He is drawing back from the Old Testament and he's trying to remind the people, the church, that Christ and, his, and the cross is the message God has been preaching from the beginning. And how do I know that? Because these passages, verses 6, 7, and 8, are all, are all passages Peter pulls, rips from the Old Testament out of Isaiah and the Psalms, and he puts them together. Why? Because the, those people would have heard, oh, so this whole story that I've been rehearsing my whole life has all been about salvation one way. And it is through this cornerstone who is Christ. He's saying he is the found. He is, Abby talked about it. He is, and, and we've, you've heard people teach on the cornerstone a lot. Peter's point isn't the cornerstone. Peter's point is just that the whole foundation of our faith points to something. And it's not us. It's Christ. And that's ultimately what he's trying to tell these people. That's what he's trying to tell us today. So pick it up in verse 7. So because of that, honor, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. So there's the importance of the word again. As they were destined to do. Guys, is your life reflecting the truth that you are built on that cornerstone? He's saying there's two kinds of people in the world. That's ultimately everything I just read just now. He's saying there are two kinds of people. There are people who are building their life upon the belief in the word of God, and then there are people who are rejecting it. There's no in-between. There is no neutral ground. There's no other way. It's not, I didn't make it up. Jesus did. There are not many ways to Christ. There's only one. There's not many ways to heaven. There's only one. Right? And it is by believing that he came, lived, died, and rose again for you. That's it. That is the only way to salvation. Those are Christ's words, not mine. The church didn't get exclusive. Christ did. Here's the deal. The offer is to everyone. He's saying, come. All who are weary and heavy laden. Just come. So, Peter's like, guys, don't you see that the whole, this, all of this is about Christ? 
Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power and God, of God and wisdom of God. Guys, there's, a, there's a, a, say, uh, um, a story that's told about a church in the south where they had on the side of the church, we preach Christ crucified. And they had some vines growing underneath it. And over the years, the vines started to grow up on the building. And they thought, well, that's really pretty. The problem was it started to cover up those words. So then eventually it just said, and we preach Christ. We preach a loving Christ. See, the problem in the church today, the reason the church is the biggest hindrance to the gospel, is we stopped preaching judgment. We stopped preaching that hell is real. We started preaching a salvation where there was no real need to be saved. Right? We started preaching a Christ without a cross. Well, he was this great, he, he was just this loving, he's the good shepherd, he's the loving counselor, he's, and he is all those things. And he's also not only the one that's going to come back and judge, but he is the one who died on a cross. But we stopped preaching that because that just seems a little too harsh. All of a sudden we started blaming God for some sort of child abuse. Like, do you realize that there are churches out there that profess faith in Christ, that preach Christ, but they won't preach the cross because they think that makes God look too mean? God is who he is. We just sang it. You are God alone. Right before time began. It's, it's not our throne, it's yours. So we need to get off of it and let him just have the place he deserves. But the reason, but, but what, but so back to my little story. So he says, so it's, it's in, then it started, so we preach Christ. Then it grows up over the word Christ. We preach. And then eventually all it says is we. And that's pretty much what most churches are about. Let's, let's come together and find out how we can become better people. Right? Because basically people, people are basically good. And the church really is just a help to help them be better. Guys, that is such bad theology. People are broken. Guys, I am broken apart from Christ. Sin indwells me apart from Christ. Why? Because this world is broken. And if we don't believe that, then Christ died for nothing. All he had to do was come and live and be that friendly dude that people talk about. But that's, he's so much more than that. But, Paul also says, right before he says, we preach Christ crucified is, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Guys, the world does not get it, but they need us to proclaim it. So to that end, if you look at your connecting points... And on the table talk question that's in your bulletin, hopefully you got one on the way in, here's the table talk question. It says this, the cross of Christ is the pin on the hinge on which the gate of God's salvation story swings. Without the cross in your life, in my life, the church, the message of the gospel, the gospel has no power. None. The cross is the hinge on which the salvation story swings. Have you come to the cross? Has his salvation swung open to you? If so, then your whole identity is different. And Jesus wants you to lead others back through the gate to the foot of the cross. He saves us so that we can lead other people to him. Otherwise, he would save us and just take us home. 
If you're sitting here today and you're a follower of Christ, you're here for one reason, and that is to make him known. That's it. That's our whole purpose in life. And then he says this. So think of, so then I say this. So then think of two people you can show Jesus to this week in some little way. So right now, Father, I just come to you in the name of, in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. I want to pray that you would put on every heart here two faces. They might be people we know well in our own house and our own families, or they might be a checkout lady at the grocery store. Who that we could just let them know that Christ loves them so here's what i want you to do i want you to turn to the person next to you and say just one of those names out loud just turn to whoever you're sitting next to and say who's the one name of a person i don't hear a lot of talking okay so Here's the problem. Here's one, I mean, obviously, you know, people, it's a little awkward. Maybe you don't know the people you're sitting next to. Maybe, you, maybe they know you really well. But for some of us, honestly, it's because we are having a hard time thinking of someone. And then, or someone that we would be willing, either someone we know that needs to know about Jesus or someone we'd be willing to talk to about it, about him. And part of that goes back to what I talked about a few weeks ago. One is we don't naturally talk about, it's, it's scary and uncomfortable for us to talk about Jesus because we don't naturally spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. We need to start, the more we will talk about Jesus, the more we will talk about Jesus. The same, but here's the other part. And so, so if this was you, if you're going, man, I don't, why was I having such a hard time thinking of someone? Here's what, I, don't beat yourself up about it. it, it there's, there's, there's no room for guilt in the body of Christ. Here's what I'd ask you to do. Walk out this week saying, Lord, Holy Spirit, show me. Like, show me the faces of these people as the people that might need to know about Jesus. Because they're there. I mean, I know it's a little harder now than it was because of, you know, things aren't quite as open, but they're opening up. But guys, the people are out there. We just aren't seeing them for the spiritually dead people they are. Guys, if, if we saw, like, we, we, we see a post about somebody who has cancer and, and, they're, and they're struggling through their chemotherapy, and our heart rightfully breaks for them. Their spiritual condition apart from Christ is infinitely uglier, infinitely more painful, infinitely more deadly. But we walk right by them. I do too. Guys, we have to get over that. Time is short. Eternity's long. Hell is real. Christ still saves. We have to. To get over ourselves and start preaching Christ. Okay, so let's keep going. Because I haven't even gotten to the best part of the passage yet. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Verse 9. But you. Because right there he stops and he says, like, the whole, your whole idea. Guys, he's saying, he's saying, guys, there, there's two ways to live in this world. You live with the identity that the world wants to give you. Or you, or you live in the identity that has become yours in Christ. For you are a new creation, Paul tells us. Right? Do we live that way? He's like, but you, guys, but you, but you church, but you today, but you guys right now, if you're in Christ, you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. That's the why. Right there it is. It's what I just was talking about. Why has he saved you? So you can proclaim the excellencies of his beautiful light to a world that's living in the dark. But don't skip past the identity. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Guys, if we would just embrace that, if we would just live, we, we don't need anything else. Like, honestly, if, if all we would do, if all Doug would do is embrace that reality, that this is who Christ has made me to be. I am these things. He doesn't say, you will be these things. If you work harder, if you just white-knuckle it, if you just stop living in that sin, if you just... He's like, no, I know you're a mess because I'm a mess too, Peter's like, I'm the dude who denied him three times. But I am a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I am a person for his possession, and I am precious to him. And he loves me, and he died for me. Guys, we have to constantly renew our minds with our, with our new identity in Christ. We, it, just, it is this constant fight that we have to live in. And the one I want to focus on the most is the priesthood part. He says that you are a royal priesthood. Guys, what did priests do in the Old Testament? Worship. right? Temple worship. You know what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. You are worship leaders. You are. Guys, it's called the priesthood of all believers. It's one of the huge things the reformers, Luther and the guys I talked about last week that were burned at the stake. And the, like the, the biggest, the two things they died for was to stand on the truth of God's word and to stand on the truth that we no longer need a priest to come to us or to go to so that we can go to the Father. We are now all, all of us. Guys, there, there is nothing special about me outside of Christ. And if you're in Christ, that same special is in you too. You don't need me to come to you. To, you don't need to come to me so I can take your junk to the Father. You can go right to him. The writer of Hebrews says that you can boldly approach the throne of grace. You can. Not just the pastor. The problem is we don't call them priests anymore, but we've outsourced the kingdom building to the professionals again. And since in this church we only have one like paid professional, the pace can seem a little slow to people. But if the body of Christ, and that's why I'm so excited about what God has been moving on the hearts of men, like the men you saw up here this morning and others, that, that, are, that, are, that are stepping into and embracing the role that frankly isn't just for them. It's for all of us, men, women, and children. If you are in Christ, you are a priest. You are part of the royal priesthood. Guys, some of you aren't buying this. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. I, I, yeah, we're going to, I don't even care if we're healed. I, I don't care if all the ice cream melts. <gasps> That's a sin, Lord. No. You're like, ice cream? Some of you didn't know we're having ice cream. Yeah, okay. We're having ice cream afterwards. Um, guys, look at Revelation Chapter 1, verse 5. Guys, this is such an important thing. Because if we don't get this, it's because it's, it's all, remember, we're tying this back to identity. 
It's all about our identity in Christ. If we don't learn, if we don't embrace our identity, you cannot possibly live the life Christ has called has died for you to live. Look at what he says. He says in verse 5, and for and from Jesus Christ. So he's saying, 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 here's the message I gave to John for the church, us. And from Jesus, it's from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Guys, there is no government or authority outside of the control of Christ. We didn't win the election. Get over it. Vote. Call your senator like I told you two weeks ago. There are real issues that we really need to voice our concerns about, like the, like the Equality Act. I'm, I'm, not say, I'm not saying don't be active. I'm saying stop looking to some man to do what only Christ can do. Amen. He is our salvation. He is our deliverer. He is the one that will bring judgment. That's it. And every time we promote somebody else in that place, we are not only... Not preaching the gospel. We are diminishing our witness to a world that just sees us as judgmental, conservative Republicans. And it's got to stop. It just has to. This is why the church is impotent in America. That was not in my notes. I should stick to my notes. <laughs> Chapter, or verse 6. And may, he, look at this. Now here's the point. He made us, Christ made, made us, the church, Kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Turn to chapter 5. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to beat this mule until he drops. Verse chapter 9. 5 verse 9. And they sang a new song. They, these are all the, the, the people that have been martyred. They're up in heaven. They're around the very throne of God. That someday is going to come down here in the new heaven and the new earth. And, and it says... And he says, here's what they were saying. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, or for God, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And look at verse 10. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth forever. Last one. Look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. And this just goes to show like, like just how backwards, the, our, how broken our, church, our churches are. And, and, and I don't pretend like we're not. Like we're, we're about as broken as, as every other church, but we're working on following Christ into a better way. It says in verse, in verse 6 of chapter 20, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, a, over such the second death has no power. So he's saying those of you who were born again, when you there's no death, there's no spiritual death after that. You will live forever. But they shall be, they. That's all of us guys that are in Christ. They shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. Now here's how broken the church has gotten. Rather than just embracing the beauty of I'm called a priest and I'm going to reign with Him for I'm going to reign with Him, not reign, reign with Him for a thousand years. We start arguing about. What is that thousand years about? I need to say, you know, am I pre-lib, post, or pre-mill, post-mill, all mill, this mill, that mill? I'm going to argue about, you know, we're going to divide up over it. Just enjoy the truth. You are a priest. You, your whole identity has changed. How is the thousand years going to work? I don't care. I'm going to be there with him, reigning with him. That's what matters. Hallelujah. Okay, so... 
Back to our point. It, back to 1 Peter, chapter, verse 10, chapter 2. And we're going to start bringing this thing. We're going to land this plane. And once, because I heard the awes as Keegan was reading this. It's just such a beautiful thing because it's so true. We are all these wonderful things. And here's the thing. Once you were not a people, verse 10 says, but now you are God's people. Man, that right there. That ought to drop us. Like, we ought to pause. There's that little voice in my head going, Doug, you don't have time to pause right now. we got to get to ice cream. But guys, I, I, I remember not being a people. Do you? Like, do you remember what it was like to not be saved? Do you remember what it was like to, to I mean, I, it's not that I don't, I, I confess to you guys, I worry and I fret. I, I wonder about what, what our nation's going to be like for my daughters. I, all, the, all those things, I feel all the feels, guys. But because I remember, because I remember not having that joy, like living in fear, all the time that I didn't even know I was living in. I was masking it with other stuff so I didn't seem fearful. Because so many of you are living in fear and in bondage right now. And, and I'm saying that you're even in your believers, even, some of you. Because you won't admit that you're living in fear and in bondage. And that fear looks like anger. That's what most of us do with our fear. That fear looks like substance abuse. That fear looks like some other addiction. That fear looks like binge-watching binge your latest whatever on Netflix because you just want to numb yourself to what's going on in the world. I would humbly submit to you that in those moments, here's what we're doing. We are forgetting that once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy guys do you understand that you no longer need to fight your way forward you don't we're not buddhists you don't have to you don't have to like walk walk your way up five thousand stairs to get to some temple in the hopes that god might be up there when you get there our god came here that's the, that is the difference to Christianity. Every other religion in the world is man working his way up to God. The cross says God came down. He said, you can't get here, so I'm coming to get you. Do you believe that? Does your life, your family, this church... Reflect that you believe that. That you believe that, that the cross, once applied to your life, changes everything. And it should change how we live. And that's what the last couple of verses are about. I'm not even going to spend any time on them. Guys, you heard them read. But ultimately, we, can, we, could, we could spend weeks talking about the behaviors in here and and in my mind that would be a shame because that's not his point 
all he's saying is, guys, in light of the beauty and the majesty of the truth that God has called you his own, live differently. He's begging his people, just like I'm begging you now, just like I'm begging my own soul now, Doug, live differently. Not, guys, but get this, as the music team comes up and we, and we have our time of response, guys, not live morally. Please, 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 please don't hear me saying that. Please don't hear me saying, I need, what, here's one more message about how I need to live morally. That's what's wrong with pulling these last couple verses, verses 11 and 12 out, and going, you know what, I need to start being better. Guys, the, I, I want you to live moral lives. I want to live a moral life. That is not the call on the Christian. We sell Christianity. We have sold it for too long as live the moral life. We want our morality back in America. Yeah, it grieves me for what's going on in our country. The call on the Christian is not be more moral. It is behold the beauty that is Jesus Christ. Right? That's the call on the Christian. First, you behold his beauty. You believe that it's true, that he is who he says he is, that he has done what he said he did, that, he, that you are who he's called you to be, that you just are. You didn't do anything. To do, you didn't go on the cross. He did. And that because you have beheld his beauty and you have believed it to be true, you now belong to him and his family, the church. And when those things are true in your life, guess what starts to happen? The behavior starts to change. We've got it so backwards. We, guys, and, and, and we tell people that. Whether we actually tell them or we just tell them by not giving them the time of day because they're one of those people that doesn't think the way we think politically or that lives an alternative lifestyle or that is all tattered up, or that is pierced, or whatever, you fill in the blanks with whatever your deal is. What we're really saying, and we don't give that, all, and maybe you didn't say a word to them, but everything in your body language was screaming judgment. Here's what you were saying. You learn to behave, and then we'll talk about Jesus. I was such an arrogant, foul-mouthed, God-mocking atheist. And the Christians that were in my life loved me anyway. They didn't judge me. They just said, you know what? I know why you're being that way. And I'm going to love you anyway. And that is what God used to lead me to him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that you have done for us what we could not do. Lord, I just want to pray that you would help us believe it. Lord, I want to pray right now for every, every heart in here. Not just the ones that, that haven't come to faith in Christ yet. But, oh Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Not because of anything I said, but because your word and your spirit have pierced them. That their very souls would cry out, what must we do to be saved? And the answer that I pray they've heard is believe on, the Jesus, believe on Jesus Christ. That's it. And this very day you will be saved.
That's what your word tells us. But Lord, I pray for those of us that that have come to that realization. But somehow along the way, or along the ways, we're in and out of this time where we just stop believing our identity. We start thinking that we have to do something. And then the enemy just uses that to whisper lies that we own and shouldn't. So Lord, in those moments, in those moments in my life, in my family's life, in our family's life, God, I pray that we would just hear your still small voice say, you're mine. I named you. I called you out of the darkness and into my marvelous light. I reached down, I came down into the filth you're in and I yanked you out of it. And yeah, I get that you're still, the dirt still sticks to you, Doug. But I don't see it because I have clothed you with garments of salvation. I have wrapped you with robes of righteousness that are from the blood of my son. Oh God, chosen race, really? A royal priesthood? Really? A holy nation? A people for your own possession. For the fame of your name.